program. Glad to have you. We are broadcasting live down here at the uh, the War Memorial on the lakefront uh, of Lake Michigan. And uh, here today, obviously, getting ready for the Memorial Day weekend and all that it uh, has to offer, which uh, out here, which if, if you can get a look, and I don't know if you can see it real well on the live shot, um, but on the live shot uh, and right off into the distance, uh, kind of just beyond the parking lot, is the field where the field of flags is going to be finalized tomorrow, uh, but it continues to grow today. It began yesterday as they put uh, one flag for every Wisconsinite who perished. I, and this is, we'll have it better explained to us coming up here in a little bit less than an hour by Dan Buttry, who is the uh, the, the director down here. Um, but it's for, I believe it's for one flag because they start with the Civil War. One flag for every Wisconsinite lost in that conflict and then every year it's going to be an additional conflict and and or war and um then eventually it will all be a conglomeration of all and then they look to if i'm not mistaken it'll be third plus over thirty thousand plus flags eventually but uh just what a what a powerful scene down here as uh i just kind of show you around a little bit for those watching on the bud light live stream uh, and I posted some of the pictures over on the Facebook fan page as well. The Eternal Flame, uh, the field, obviously, uh, when you come down here. Um, the uh, girder from 9-11 from, one of the, uh, from the World Trade Center. Uh, the, uh, the table setting for the POW MIA. Uh, and then there is the, uh, the powerful picture of the uh, soldier holding the hand of a young, young person uh, saying the true soldier fights not because he hates what is in front of him, but because of what he loves behind him. And uh, just a, a really powerful image. So if you come down here, you can take a look around. It's free of charge. But uh, it's just a reminder as to what this weekend uh, truly is all about. And you know that I'm very, very supportive of our military men and women and veterans and such that have served that, you know, allow us every night to lay our head on our pillows because they sign on the dotted line and say they got this. And so that's the reason we are here. Um, Rick says, by the way, uh, you have to hit up the fire museum when I'm up there in uh, Peshtigo. Uh, the, uh, the remember Peshtigo burned down years and years and years ago. Uh, the Peshtigo fire burned the entire city down. So, yeah, they've got uh, that fire museum up there. Uh, I do remember that, as a matter of fact. Uh, 877-867-1670, 877-867-1670. So here's a question. Um... And I know Craig Council is creeping up on the all-time wins. We talked about this the other day when it comes to, because Phil Garner has a ton of wins, but he's got more losses than he does wins. And when you look at the the managers in Brewers history, um, is Craig Council the best manager in the history of the Milwaukee Brewers? Is he the best manager in the history of the Milwaukee Brewers? And I think at this point, you would probably have to say, yeah, right? You would. You, I, I think you would have to. When you look, because Phil Garner has 563 wins. Phil Garner, five, Scrap Iron's got 563 wins, but 617 losses. 
He has 1,180 games managed. Craig Council has 1,008 games managed. So thus, 172 games less. But he's already accumulated 529 wins. You would assume he is going to eclipse Phil Garner this season in wins. And if he ends up 10, 12, 15 games over 500, I mean, he may not even get, I I would assume he's probably going to end up with um, more than 500 losses total by the end of the season. But you got to think that once he eclipses Phil Garner, Craig Council is by, by far, right? The best manager in Brewers history. Now, he has not given them a World Series. He has not taken them to a World Series. So I understand that. I get it. But would you not say in four postseason appearances, he's 7-10. and ten. He's 7-10. and ten. Harvey Keene was 6-6 six and six in postseason. So if he gets a few more wins and actually gets more wins than losses in the postseason this year, which would be fantastic, don't get me wrong, um, that means they don't ultimately win a, a championship. But let's just say he gets to the league championship. He would eclipse Phil Garner for wins. He would also have more wins in the postseason. He does have more wins in the postseason right now than anybody. Is, Phil, is, is, is Craig Council the best manager in Brewers history? 877-867-1670. 877-867-1670. Is he the best manager in Brewers history? Carl says, I think he is the best in team history, yes. Brandon says he's going to get to the World Series this year. Uh, Carl also says, I think many times it comes down to management. If the team spends money for good players, it helps a manager. Mark Atanasio and David Stearns helped counsel a lot not to take anything away from what he has done. The one thing, though, that I find so interesting about that is that Craig Council, um, couldn't you say with the analytics and the way he's been able to – because he is not – do you think the – Ben, let me ask you this. Compared to, the say, the Cardinals, the Phillies, the Mets, you look at the teams that have spent money, the Dodgers, compared to those teams, and even the Cubs early on, compared to those teams, would you say the Brewers always had the best team? No. Most times. See, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. I think they get it done by the manipulation of the analytics. They get it done with statistics. They get it done with matchups. They get it done in those particular ways. Now, don't get me wrong. They've had some key components, and they've had better pitching. And we all know pitching will win you a lot of games. But if you go top to bottom, pound for pound, player for player, I think other teams have had more talented teams. But in the grand scheme of wins, I would I would venture to guess that I think Craig Council is probably the better manager. I would also say by far. I would also argue that the way Council manages his team and his pitching staff, especially, it has made them better 
than on the field. The way that he's approached mm-hmm. going about the rotation and the bullpen and everything has maximized right. the, all of their talent. So, yeah. See, I would agree with that. I and I know some people get on council because of the way he manages the pitching staff, but you can't argue with the outcome. The wins far outseed, far exceed the losses. And I know it hasn't given, but, but it hasn't given the Brewers a championship. But pound for pound, you start to go around that team. When you look at guys like Ogilvy and Gorman Thomas and Robin Yount and Paul Molitor, and you go through that whole Cecil Cooper, you know, go through that whole team and the pitching staff that they had, pound for pound, that was a far better team. A far better team. And yet the Brewers of today without having big power hitters and and power pitchers and all that kind of they they get it done in a different way that's the reason i can say i i think you know for what craig council has and what he's done i i would think he's the better manager i i i think he's been able to manage a better game 8778671670 is craig council is craig council the best manager in brewers history is he the best manager in Brewers history? 877-867-1670. 877-867-1670. Now, the only guy that's had success of winning percentage better was when Harvey Keene took over for Buck Rogers and it became Harvey's wall bangers for that period of time in 82 and 83. 877-867-1670. And then there's Dale Swain, obviously. He was the, the manager with a winning percentage after 12 games. He was 7-5, and five, but you, you can't. you got to go with at least 100 games if you understand what I'm saying. Stay tuned. we got a lot more of the Bill Michaels Show broadcasting live down here at the uh, War Memorial uh, right here on uh, the lakefront of Lake Michigan. Stay tuned. we got more coming up right after this. Covering Wisconsin sports like a blanket, this is The Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Welcome back. Hour number three of The Bill Michael Show, a special day. We are broadcasting live at the War Memorial here on the banks of Lake Michigan. Milwaukee County, as the field of flags is expanding and getting to over uh, 12,000 flags, a representative of the lives lost, the Wisconsin lives lost, going all the way back to the Civil War. And as you heard Dan Buttrey just a little while ago, the uh, president and CEO down here describe all the different conflicts, and they're going to do a different one each year, eventually building up to all Wisconsinites that have been lost as uh, that field of flags continues to grow. Now two years in existence down here on this Memorial Day weekend. So we are glad to have you. Uh, Thanks so much for listening to us in whatever capacity. Uh, And joining us now over on uh, the hotline, our friend Andrew Brandt. And Andrew's got uh, the business of sports. He's got the podcast. So much. uh, And uh, in-depth, behind-the-scenes access. Every real sports fan wants. We all know that. Got the uh, Brandt on the rant. And uh, he's also got the uh, the business letter. Everything. You can find him over at Andrew. Andrew Brandt on uh, Twitter as well. Andrew, how you been? I've been good, Bill. It's a nice time. It's uh, a little slower, and but there's always the business of sports that keeps me busy. I'm actually busier when the players are not playing than when they are. 
I was going to ask you, because there's a lot going on right now and a lot of d- stuff I want to dive into. First and foremost, I want to dive into the Deshaun Watson thing. And I, I've been reading what you've been writing about it and hearing the podcast. And so tell me what you – because there's so many things – because everybody just expects he's going to be suspended and that will be the end of it. And everybody wonders what the NFL is waiting for. So can you kind of explain what is going on right now regarding Deshaun Watson? Well, it's hard to know what's gone on for the past 18 months because we first heard about reports of these massage therapists that's that long ago. But I think there's better idea of what's going on from now on because the NFL has talked to Deshaun Watson. And to me, that's a big sign because having done this with the Packers for 10 years, I won't go into who or what it was about, but... When the NFL looks into something, the last person they talk to is the player that is facing potential conduct discipline. That's always been the case, as far back as I can remember, and it's still the case today. So once they've talked to Watson, which they have, now they make a report. And it's headed by Lisa Friel, who's the former Manhattan sex crimes prosecutor, who was hired away by the NFL after the Ray Rice stuff. And she, I think, is either done or close to done with her investigation. So now it goes to what is now a disciplinary officer, which is new, NFL and NFLPA jointly appointed. And that will make a determination on discipline. And then any appeal, there will be lawyers, Guess who the appeal goes to? Everyone knows the answer to this. It goes right Mm -hmm. back to the Commissioner Goodell. So I guess what we have here is a little change in the process from Goodell being judge, jury, and executioner to be more just judge, uh, appellate judge, if you will, rather than jury. So, and one of the things, and correct me if I'm wrong here, that one of the hesitations would be that if you suspended him right now, and then the cases move forward, and for whatever reason it becomes in some way, shape, or form a criminal case, that if, say, video comes out and what have you, much like we saw with the Ray Rice deal, that all of a sudden, well, you've suspended him once, you can't go back to the well again and say, well, we've discovered that this is even more egregious than what we were led to believe or what we thought, or more so than a he said, she said that they can't then suspend him again. So they're being very cautious in how they want to handle this up into punishment. I think that's a good point. I mean, that's the double jeopardy that applies from the Ray Rice suspension. Again, for people who don't know, Ray Rice was suspended two games, which no one seemed to have a big issue with at the time, right? There wasn't a big outcry, hey, he only got two games. But then that second video came out and the world changed, and he got an indefinite suspension. And Ray Rice, I remember covering this for ESPN, sued, and he won. The indefinite suspension was thrown out because of, quote-unquote, double jeopardy. Now, in his case, he never played again. So it was kind of a pyrrhic victory because no one ever wanted to sign him again. But that would be different for Deshaun Watson. But listen, Bill, I think there's going to be a lot of discipline here, even without criminal charges. I don't see Deshaun Watson playing many games this year. I just don't because I'm back to precedent. And everyone's I've said it many times, Ben Roethlisberger, Ezekiel Elliott, both six-game suspensions, both for activities towards a woman. 
maybe just one woman, both no criminal charges. So how in God's green earth is Deshaun Watson going to get less than six games, and I would think even close to six games? So I just think it's going to be a long suspension. Um, so we'll, we'll move on from that. I also want to talk about the the owners in the NFL. Uh, you've got what is continuing to be an ugly layer after layer after layer of the onion peel, peeled away from the Washington Commanders and Daniel Snyder. Stephen Ross uh, and uh, Haslam both uh, attempting to pay coaches or allegedly attempting to pay coaches to lose games. I mean, you know, it, you, owners are starting to really smell in some of this as well, and the perception of ownership is growing poor also with some of the personal stuff that jerry jones has been dealing with as well um i i gotta think that if i'm commissioner goodell i don't even want to answer my phone at this point right yeah but i mean i hear a lot of people say well they're going to get him out or get snyder out of washington i just don't see it you know 24 votes and like you just referenced do these owners want to have a owner thrown out when they have skeletons in their closet too So I just don't see it, and I've said this many times over the years. Roger Goodell, part of the job description is to protect these guys. You know, they're his bosses, and he's done that very well. He's done that very well. Every time he's asked about Dan Snyder or Jerry Jones or Stephen Ross, you know, he just deflects, and uh, that's what happens. So, yeah, owner behavior has not been good. But, you know, there was a quote from Jerry Jones along the way here that, you know, drama is good. So whether it's good publicity, bad publicity, you know, that's he is he has become a lightning rod. It's rare in sports where an owner gets as much publicity as the best players. But certainly Jones does that. Uh, he's probably the most marketable cowboy of the whole organization. How about that? Yeah, no, I, that I would agree with. Um, with the uh, you know the the House subcommittee looking into the practices of the Washington Commanders, what do you see happening be, as far as judgment goes, or as far as discipline goes? At at what point does all this come to a head? Yeah, I mean, I think this is like Watson. It's it's going to kind of go on its own pace, and there is no. Uh, you know, my phrase, deadlines for action. I don't think there's any deadline. Now, the committee has uh, asked for subpoenas, I believe, and everything seems to be in that calendar. We've had the women on Capitol Hill testify against Daniel Snyder, but it hasn't moved since. You know, and it's, you know what's going on in this world. <laughs> and Congress yeah. may not get back to this for a while, if at all. And that's just the way things happen. Then there is the uh, the Stephen Ross, obviously, and the uh, issue there with him being sued and the owners being sued for the discrimination factor. Um, where are we in all of that? Well, there have been a couple of hearings. Um, there's been additions to Brian Flores as a class action. Um, Steve Wilkes, who was a one-year coach at the Arizona Cardinals, he has joined that lawsuit as well as Ray Horton, an assistant coach, and that is moving through the court process. Again, tough one to prove because you know what's going to happen. 
whether it's the Giants or the Broncos or pick a team, Houston, mm-hmm. they're going to say we hired X coach instead of Brian Flores for 10 reasons, and none of the reasons are going to be raised. Mm-hmm. So how do you prove those things? I mean, those are going to be the, the tough things legally. The question for Brian Flores is does he become – a standard out there that he changed the processes in the NFL. We're seeing little things like this accelerator at the meetings where it was speed dating between owners and minority candidates around the league, minority employees that are in front office and coaching. Now, people say, well, that's kind of contrived, but it's good. It's a step. It's a step. Uh, I did want to ask you as well, by the way, we're talking with Andrew Brandt, the business of sports, uh, S-I-M-M-Q-B. You can read all his stuff. Also, he's got the podcast, and you can join uh, the, uh, the the website and uh, also the uh, the newsletter. And it's 9 bucks a month, and you can find it. I just tweeted it out, the link to it, so you can find it all right there. Um, I wanted to ask you about Colin Kaepernick because he gets a tryout with Las Vegas. And I said, look, if, if, if he performs well, it really – you almost – you don't want to bring him in just to look like you're doing some window dressing. I mean, this has to be a serious look. And if he plays well enough to outplay what the backups are right now behind Derek Carr, you almost have to give him a job, don't you? Yeah, but I just don't see it because he's been out for five years. And, I I mean, he may look good in a tryout, but I think it's great he's having a tryout after five years of not having tryouts. But it's just, to me, it's like, Having been in that role, it's just doing your due diligence on tryout players. And I think even Josh McDaniel said, we brought in a lot of guys and we'll keep in touch. And I just think this, Bill, I said this right, you know, for years about Kaepernick. If you're not looking at him as a starter, which no one is going to be looking at him as a starter these days, do you want that as your back? You know, you, do you want your backup player to have that attention? Teams usually, you know, they'll they'll deal with attention and stuff about their stars. That's fine. They, that's, that's par for the course. But when it comes to backups, do you want a lot of attention and notoriety about backups? I think teams are going to shy away from that. And, yeah, Mick Lombardi's with the Raiders. He was at San Francisco during those glory years at Kaepernick, so I get it. I just don't see him signing him. Yeah, that was my question, is if you bring him in as a backup, you have to be able to absorb all the scrutiny that's going to come with that. And then, you know, I guess my question would be, is it worth it? I mean, is it just an initial onslaught, and after that he goes quietly into that good night? Or is it every day, and then you're asking all the guys in the locker rooms to step up and answer those questions as well? I I, I don't know. I mean, I'm glad he got a tryout, I guess, but I, I just don't want it to be where all of a sudden now people are screaming, well, you only gave him a tryout just to give him one so we'd shut up and go away for those that want to see Colin Kaepernick come back into the NFL. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know if it's that. I just think that um, they also traded. Now, I know a seventh-round pick for Stidham, who Josh McDaniels drafted in New England. I would say Stidham has a better chance of being Derek Carr's backup, who who's obviously played for Josh McDaniels recently, or at least practiced for him. I'd say he, have, he has a much better chance. than He's already signed, of course, than Kaepernick. Right. So I... I don't see them signing him. 
Just real quick before I let you go, um, obviously Aaron Rodgers not in camp. He said he, at some point he's going to be in one of these camps. But when, when you were with the Packers and you're in a front office, what kind of emphasis was there to have – you know, veterans work with specifically in the quarterback position, work with young guys. So they, cause I just don't want to hear, Hey, we're not on the same page yet. Six, eight games into the season when you could have been starting to build relationships now uh, rather than waiting until training camp. So give me your thoughts or at least what the, what, what the premise was going into these camps, these OTAs and mini camps, trying to get the veterans to kind of show the young guys the way. Don't get me started, Bill. <laughs> I mean, I was uh, the one thing I got there, and two, three years in, I said, I got to, I got to fix this. I got to change this. Where no one was showing up in the spring, for no veterans were showing up, and I just said, we got to fix this, and we had to make it financially sound. And say a guy was making a million dollars, I would say, you're not making a million anymore. You're making nine hundred and a hundred thousand workout bonus. And that was the only way to sort of get people up there. And, I, and still, they're all fighting me and say, can I just have my trainer send in reports from Florida, from Texas, from California? And I'm like, no, you got to be here. You got And it was so hard, so hard to change that culture. And now most of them are there. And sure, the stars will stay, still stay away. Of course, Brett Favre stayed away and Charles Woodson stayed away, and that's fine. You know, I think what you're talking about now with Aaron and new receivers, I get it, but he's freaking Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. The new receivers will figure him out in six weeks of training camp. But the last thing I'll say, which I've talked about before, is we learned a lot about Aaron Rodgers in those two off-seasons where Brett stayed away. And hopefully they're learning a lot about Jordan Love last year and this year and, and it's his team. It was Aaron's team for those four months. And it's Jordan's team, I would think, for these four months. So that's, you know, a blessing in disguise for the Packers, I think. Just to get a little more of a look at him. So I, 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 I don't did, – did, should we read anything into the fact that, the, at least as far as we know, the phone really wasn't ringing off the hook for Jordan Love for so many teams that were looking for quarterbacks as there were this offseason? I don't know. I mean, no one – Brian and knowing the Packers, they're not trading Jordan Love. You know, they're not trading Jordan Love. And we can have a whole other discussion about how long Aaron stays. But, you know, it could be just like Aaron. Aaron sat three years. Jordan sat three years. And he comes in next year. We'll see. Yep, no doubt. Uh, Andrew, always great stuff. And if they want to get a hold of the uh, newsletter or listen to the podcast, again, how do they do it? Where do they go? Yeah, the podcast is wherever you hear podcasts, but I did start this newsletter. Go to andrew-brandt.com. It comes out every Sunday. And I've recently started, as you mentioned, this premium site where they get me every day. I, I do videos, and we meet every week. So a lot of people are interested in sort of getting more. And there, there you go to andrew-brandt.com slash SBL for Sports Business League. There you go. Good stuff. Appreciate it, pal, and have a great weekend, okay? Same to you, Bill. All right, talk to you soon. There you go. That is our good friend Andrew Brandt kind of giving us a lot of the business, so to speak, when it comes to the NFL specifically as uh, looking at like, Man, he seems to think, Ben, when you and I did the over and under on eight games for Deshaun Watson, he thinks it's going to be more. And he he said, I mean, even he said, he said, I don't think that Deshaun Watson is going to play a whole lot of football this season. Does that mean then the Browns are going to be extremely reluctant to get rid of Baker Mayfield?
I guess so. I mean, if there's anyone in the NFL I would not want to be right now, I think he might come close to the top of the list. Right? Because they've invested in Deshaun Watson, but Watson most likely not going to play. And if he does, it's not going to be a whole lot. Can you imagine that if Baker Mayfield does not get traded, he stays in Cleveland? Now, if I'm Baker Mayfield, I just I think I want to hold out. But Baker Mayfield's other option would be to go to Cleveland to get into camp to completely kick ass to the point where this team is in playoff contention and then just to say, told you I could do it. If you put the right pieces with me, I can do it. And I'm, oh, by the way, I'm healthy. And then Deshaun Watson takes it over. And if Deshaun Watson take him, takes him to a Super Bowl, so be it. But if he fails miserably after being out of the game basically for a year and a half, and he looks bad, but Maker, Baker Mayfield looks great. Oh, my God, the quandary, the the mess that would be in Cleveland then. And then Baker Mayfield still, he could go off and be traded, and Cleveland could get more for him and what have you. But it's just what a, what a crap show over there in Cleveland. Holy mackerel. We're going to do this. We're going to step away, take a quick break. When we come back, got a lot more to get to. Stay tuned. More of the Bill Michael Show live down here at the War Memorial on the banks of Lake Michigan. We'll be back right after this. Covering Wisconsin sports like a blanket, this is The Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. The Bill Michael Show Podcast. Listen, rate, subscribe.